Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. In our last episode, we talked about loneliness and some of the longings that can come up at this time of year, especially during the holiday season. So we had Thanksgiving and Hanukkah just ended, and now we are in Advent leading up to Christmas. And I mentioned in our last episode that sometimes I notice in myself a longing for more spiritual connection and I think also like a longing for a spiritual home. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned longing for belief. And Cheryl, I know that that phrase in particular, longing for belief, kind of sparked sparked Mm -hmm. some thoughts and questions in you. So... I'm curious just to hear a little bit more about what came up for you when when you heard me talking about this type of spiritual longing and longing for belief. Mm -hmm. What came up for me was how many people struggle in this exact same way. Mm. I hear about it all the time in my work. People who perhaps were raised religiously um, and no longer practice that particular religion or practice parts of it, but haven't found a community that feels like a match or people that were not raised religiously and um, have come to spirituality on their own, but still feel like it's not quite, not, not quite hitting the place inside, not quite um, satisfying that longing. So this is so interesting and I think so important for us to explore. And I'm curious, I'm curious if you can say more, Victoria, about your longing for belief and your longing for spiritual home. Maybe, maybe the longing when you see people lighting candles and see people doing their rituals, maybe also some longing for meaningful rituals, longing for rituals that, that feel relevant and embodied for you. So I would love for you to say more about those longings. I have these two forces in my family history, like recent history, Mm. of deeply religious people on my mom's side and my dad's side. Mm. So on my mom's side, there's my grandfather, who is the grandfather to your children, though neither of us met him. And he lived at an abbey for seven years and was preparing to become a monk. But before taking his final orders, he decided to leave. But he continued to be a practicing Catholic. And he was, from what I understand, very spiritual and also like very intellectual and scientific and artistic and all these things. And then on my dad's side, there was my dad's mother um, was from what I could tell, both very religious and very spiritual. She was also Catholic, went to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. She always bought us like Christian books and tapes, like Veggie Tales. If others (laughs) raised in the 90s -hmm. (laughs) probably grew up on Veggie Tales. But she also, I remember when she was really sick and she unfortunately had a very rare disease and she died when she was 69. Mm. It was a muscular degenerative disease. So she was like Mm. really hunched over. Mm. And I remember she said once when I was visiting her, 
um, that sometimes when she went out in public, people would look at her funny, but she said, God told me just to not pay attention to them. And I was like, did she just say that God said something to her? <laughs> like, I was like worried. I was like, probably like maybe I was 12 or 13 or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, is she okay? Like mm-hmm. mentally, <laughs> because she's saying mm-hmm. that God doctor. Mm-hmm. And my dad told me more recently that when she was really, really sick, she she had a bag full of little slips of paper with people's names and like what they were going through because mm. she always wanted to remember to pray mm. for everybody and to pray really specifically mm. for them. Mm. Yes. So she wasn't just religious. On either side, I had these people who were both and... I don't know why I went to them first, but I feel like that that was interesting. Yeah, it was always really important to me. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of knew I knew about them. And as a kid, I felt like I wanted to experience that type of closeness to God. Mm. But I also had a lot of fear, some of it just existential fear. That's just from being human, but some of it also kind of stoked by you know, being in church and hearing about sin and judgment day and hell and mm-hmm. a lot of dogma and, you know, hearing through the grapevine. I don't even remember like specific teachings about sex and sexuality, but like I knew like if that's bad, you know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um, so I also internalized like a lot of fear and judgment and, and shame and shame. Mm hmm. As I grew up, I kind of eventually stopped going to church and stopped praying and Mm. had all sorts of intellectual problems and questions about Mm. (laughs) evil and suffering and Mm. why and, you know, how Mm. (laughs) could could there be anything good and and just like um, just a lot of doubts and lack of belief. Um, in something that used to give, even though there was like the fear part, there was also the comfort Mm. of, you know, I shared with you, Cheryl, like when I was a kid and I had tons of separation anxiety. So I would just pray all the time if I was waiting for my mom or my dad to pick me up from school or from CCD. I have really strong memories of like waiting after CCD was over. So like- Which is- What's CCD? It's um like a Sunday school mm-hmm. um, where you learn about your religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd be like waiting for my dad to pick me up and I'd just be praying to God that he didn't get into a car accident on mm. the way over. Yes. And so I would like talk to God, but it was often this like pleading, like, please, please don't do something, like let something bad happen. And then thank you, thank you for not... <laughs> letting something bad happen yes i think it's important to to speak briefly about how do you see the difference between religion and spirituality i think the difference that i see is that religion is a set of it's a structure and and ideally a community like Mm. a community of people who come together and practice certain rituals together and support each other in certain values but there is also a belief 
part of it, especially, I guess, in Christianity, at least I can say. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. usually there are like rules. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But spirituality I see as like the direct experience with something greater than just me as an individual. Mm -hmm. Which I think can happen for sure in religious contexts and communities that that direct felt experience of God, of something bigger. But I think for many people, the rules and the dogma and the judgment eclipses that the possibility of that experience and in fact leads to a negative experience of God or something bigger, but it's usually called God in a religious context. It's interesting to me that when I asked about spiritual longing and rituals, that what came to mind were your ancestors on both sides, one male, one female, one from your father's line, one from your mother's line. And what really stood out for me was what you said about the closeness to God that you saw I mean, you, you wouldn't have seen it, of course, in grandfather because you never knew him, but you have some, some, some sense of his religious, spiritual um, leanings. And I know you spent time at that abbey where he, mm-hmm. where he went, um, which I think is amazing. Um, but your grandmother, you do have direct experience with, and that when she said that about God told me, right? In your 12-year-old mind, it was like, what? (laughs) Are you losing your marbles? But you have a different experience of it now, right? You hold it differently now. And you can see that she had a closeness to God. And in some ways you had that growing up, but not, it was more from like a fearful pleading, like bargaining, the way that prayer can be more like bargaining or more like um, make make something happen instead of being in a reciprocal relationship with God. And so I'm curious, is the longing now currently for a closeness to something bigger than you? Yes, I think it's like the longing to feel held by occasionally feeling the connection and then regularly just being held by some ritual or tradition or practices that anchor me and just give me some comfort and strength. Yes. And it's so funny because you mentioned that I spent some time at the Abbey where my grandfather was for those years and Mm -hmm. that visit to me is like such a perfect emblem of my longing and also my struggle with it Mm. I was 22 I was kind of having a hard time Mm -hmm. just graduated from college going through a breakup like feeling very lost and I wanted to like find something there and feel something there Mm -hmm. I didn't have my own car at the time. So my friend dropped me off and it's in Virginia. And it's like you go down this like one one or two miles down this like dirt road and there's no 
there's no street lights. Like you just see cat eyes glistening in the dark from (laughs) glowing from the Mm. reflection of the cart headlights. And because one of the priests there, monks there, like feeds all all the cats. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like my friend dropped me off and I go in this little like retreat house, this little bedroom, like a college dorm. And then she was like, okay, bye. And she left. And I just started (gasps) crying like Mm -hmm. as soon as she left because I felt so alone. And I emailed my ex-boyfriend the next day. <laughs> I said I went to the Abbey to like get away and like try to feel really spiritually connected and I guess feel not alone on a deeper level. Mm. And I felt so empty and alone. Mm. And I emailed my ex-boyfriend. And I also went for walks and I wrote poetry, but I also like, yeah, I reached out <laughs> to someone yes. that fill up that hole that I wanted God to come in and fill. Mm. And I even remember like the monks there, they, they chant throughout the day, including at a three, three o'clock in the morning, there's a chapel in the woods. And I went to one of their masses where they chanted in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of it was in Latin, but some of it was in English, I think. I remember hearing certain things about hell and judgment. And I was like, I am not walking through the woods at 3 a.m., <laughs> to go hear that so I didn't (laughs) no no so like it all just like rose up like emptiness fear Mm. I'm not finding it I'm not feeling what I want to feel and it's a lot like with relationship anxiety people wanting to feel in love Mm -hmm. it's like I want to feel in love with something divine and I want to feel comforted and strengthened but I just feel empty. I don't feel it. When have you felt not alone? That you were wanting to feel not alone, but actually you felt so deeply alone there. And the longing is for some kind of in loveness, some kind of rapture, some kind of sense of, of joyful connection with the divine. Um, and that through that relationship, that there's some sense of I am being held, I am being comforted, there is something bigger that I can rest in in the arms of, that I can sit in the lap of. I'm curious if there have been moments or experiences or specific times when you have felt that. I think it's when I can connect to people here on earth Mm -hmm. (laughs) even if I'm alone in the moment but I feel connected to other people generally Mm -hmm. that can make me feel like very held or when I see when I look at people doing things that are just generous and kind and loving and Mm. helpful and (laughs) all the Mm. things that we want I, that that many of us just want to be. And then it's also like when I'm doing something creative. Mm-hmm. I know like even when I was at the Abbey, there were some times where I was writing like poetry. Mm-hmm. And that I remember is feeling a little bit more connected, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me spiritual relationship and spiritual connection 
is an active relationship with something bigger than me, the mystery, the breath, nature, divinity, that that place that we cannot name. There aren't quite words for it, but we know it when we're in the presence of it. And um, I feel lucky because I wasn't raised in religion, that I don't have any of those messages. I don't have any of the dogma. I don't have any of the fear and judgment that God is an old man with a long white beard that sits in the sky and throws out judgment at people. Um, That was never in my worldview. And so I was free to discover my own relationship to God. And to me, it has been God, even though that wasn't a word that was ever spoken in my house growing up. And in fact, my grandparents were very, um, were atheists. They were opposed to religion because of their painful Orthodox Jewish upbringing that they fled from as soon as they could and abandoned completely. Um, But I had this relationship to God from a very young age. And then as an adult have been able to cultivate, to nurture, and especially since moving here and being on this land and being at the creek and being in the presence of so much beauty. And I think God is beauty. Great mother is, is beauty. Beauty is great mother. It's all the same. To me, the words don't really matter to me. And so it's like having this relationship with something bigger than me, it doesn't mean I don't experience longing. I experience longing all the time. And when I fall out of the relationship, when I fall out of the practices that help me connect to the relationship, I feel the longing. Even when I'm most disciplined and most consistent with the practices that help me connect to something bigger than me, there's still longing because I don't think we're ever going to sit directly in the lap of the divine as long as we are human. And maybe some people do. That hasn't been my experience. My experience has been there's always some kind of barrier or boundary or separateness. But what came to mind when you were when we were talking about this last week in preparation for today was about sort of that that the relationship piece, being in reciprocal relationship. And it's one of the things I love so much about braiding sweetgrass, Robin Wall Kimmerer's book that it's this it's the reciprocal relationship that shifts our relationship to God or the divine or nature from something separate that has power over us which i think is how you were relating to God as a child there's this supernal being this all powerful being and if i pray hard enough and write enough then that being which is a he He can prevent bad things from happening, but it also depends on me being good and right and perfect enough, 
or saying the right words. But when we are in reciprocal relationship, when this idea that God needs us just as much as we need God, that nature needs us just as much as we need nature, I mean, not really, like from a scientific perspective, nature would go on just fine without us. But as long as we are walking this earth, that we we need to be in relationship to nature, that the reciprocal relationship shifts it from something that has power over us to something that is us. That I, that God lives in me, the God light lives in me and you and every human on this planet, that it's woven into the very fabric of who we are. It's not something on high, some entity that decrees judgment has the power to punish us or even kill us if we're bad, right? Which just engenders all of that guilt and shame and fear of imperfection and fear of being human, right? To something that we are in relationship with. So I'm, I'm curious what comes up for you around that. Yeah, I'm thinking about what you said about kind of like the old man in the sky and Mm -hmm. how Richard Rohr often says that a lot of people think of God as like Santa Claus, which is also appropriate for this time of year. Yes. You know, like making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty or nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think, I just have so many thoughts, but I think when there's so many, obviously there's so many different theologies and philosophies and yes, for a brain, <laughs> for a brain like mine, mm-hmm. <laughs> prone to anxiety, OCD, mm-hmm. the desire for certainty, but also the desire for purity, for mm. moral perfection for a concrete answer, for yes. a satisfactory answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. It can just wreak havoc, you know. I think mm-hmm. I'm often up in my in my thinking mind. It's hard for me to drop down into my body and into that ex- experience. Mm-hmm. period really not just in the spiritual realm but like in general I'm often like thinking 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 and trying to intellectualize and make yes. things make sense yes and the truth is that it's a mystery that's right what's also coming up for me is just this piece of like you know when I was a little kid when I was a little kid I was like it's bad not to be Catholic it's bad not to believe in God Mm -hmm. the idea of someone being an atheist is like that's bad and it is Mm. it is yeah morally wrong does it also feel morally wrong to drop out of your head and the need to figure it all out and have perfect answers and have a felt experience of God. Is there something threatening in that or something morally wrong in that? I 
I think the voice that comes in is just like too good to be true. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's a big one for people. That's a big one. Going back to something you said initially and that we had talked about earlier, that spirituality and people who sometimes claim to be very spiritual, mm-hmm. <laughs> which there's a lot of where I live in Boulder, Colorado, and also where I grew up in Los Angeles, um, which to me is pseudo-spirituality. It's not real spirituality, but there's a lot of people talking a big talk about how spiritual they are. And they're not actually walking the walk. And so you mentioned relationship anxiety. It comes up a lot for my clients where they will say something like, I don't know if my partner's spiritual enough. I'm on this spiritual path and I don't know if they're spiritual enough. And my response is, "Um, how do they treat people? Yeah. What's their character? Are they, and they'll always say, well, he's so kind. He's honest. He has such high integrity. He's so respectful. Not all the time, but in his character. And I'll say, that is a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. It's not about what books you've read or what workshops you've attended or what podcasts you listen to. In the end, it's how do you act in the world, right? And so I think that's why people have had a lot of issues, rightly so, with certain religions that have claimed to to espouse and to uphold those spiritual values of kindness, integrity, respect, but then have not been inclusive Right? but then have fought wars in the name of their religion. So I think that's such an important piece to bring in as well, is, is what does it mean to be a spiritual person? That It doesn't necessarily mean that you sit on a meditation cushion and chant to God every day for an hour. It might mean that, and that's Wonderful if that's a way that anchors you and connects you. But it's also in action. Yes. I have a lot of clients because I work from the Jungian model there where we do a lot of imaginal imagination work of what is your your happy place? What is your place where you feel regulated, where you feel grounded? And who shows up there? And is it is it Is it the ocean? Is it a lake? Is it a tree? Is it the snow? And when you can go there in your mind and hand over the worries, hand over the anxiety, hand over the what ifs, it can help a Mm -hmm. lot. And without that, I think we're going to feel some sense of being unmoored, of being deeply alone, of the burden of carrying life all by ourselves, even though, yes, 
we have others, we have friends, maybe we have a partner, we have um, family. And there is great divinity in human relationships between the human heart because we are all connected and we know that now more than ever. We are one human family and we have some sense of tapping into that sometimes when we see people showing up, you know, like I think of 9-11 and I think of those firefighters and I think of, you know, the world's great catastrophes, the people who, who show up, you know, the, the Mr. Rogers, the helpers who, who show up and risk their own lives. That is a spiritual action, right? And it is, it illuminates the best of the human heart. And I think there's something important, and this brings us back to the beginning in terms of the longing for a closeness, a personal closeness to something bigger, right? That is, it doesn't hinge on belief. I don't, be- I don't believe that it hinges <laughs> on, on belief. Yeah. That there are so many other ways to know to know, to know in your body that you are not alone, that you are held by the mystery. I would love to hear more about how you connect to that. And I just first want to name something that comes up for me that I'm realizing I'm sure comes up for Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. who listen to this podcast. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. As much as there's that longing for closeness, there's fear that comes up. Mm. My mind, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, Mm -hmm. goes straight to like, if I pray, like we know what, we know what the story of Joan of Arc is. You know, like instead of just saying like, how am I talking to to my loved ones at the dinner table when I'm cranky after Mm -hmm. a hard day? Or am I voting in local elections? Am I connecting with my community? My Mm -hmm. mind goes straight to like, I mean, Joan of Arc was a teenager Mm -hmm. who had to go to battle and die at the (laughs) state, burnt at the stake, you know? Yes. Even with relationship anxiety, I think it's like, what if I pray and God tells me you need to leave? Yes. Whatever it might be, there's the fear of like, what is God going to ask me to do? What's going to happen if I actually don't just draw comfort, but draw strength (laughs) Mm -hmm. or even guidance? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is the number one fear for people with relationship anxiety. If I turn inward, if I trust myself, if I grow a spiritual relationship, if I do inner work, I'm going to learn that I have to leave my loving, well-matched relationship. And so you can see, and what you're saying is it's the same thing. If I grow a relationship to God, if I turn to God for wisdom and guidance, Here's the thing, Victoria, the way that you're framing it, it's still as if God is not you, mm-hmm. that God is something separate from you. And so it's this paradox because, yes, I do have a felt lived experience of a mystery of some benevolent energy, the natural world that is bigger than me, but it is also not separate from me. It is both. 
And so to me, that speaks to um, lack of self-trust, right? And the fear that something outside of you, some voice is going to tell you what to do and is going to tell you that you have to basically abandon your whole life because the life you're living is not what God wants for you. And so it's, I wrote a blog post years ago called Living God's Will because this comes up so much in my work with people who are religious or were raised religiously this belief that what if I'm not living God's will? What if my partner is not who God wants for me? But so again, it speaks to this idea that God is somewhere on high, on his throne. And there is some predetermined destiny of life of partner that And it sounds like the fear that you're naming, if I tune into God, if I have a relationship to God, to something bigger than me, that I will learn something and I will be almost forced to do something that I don't want to do, that requires me blowing up my whole life. That's not how I see God. Yeah, it's just, it's making me really reflect on some of the stories that inform that. Mm -hmm. You know, I've obviously been speaking from the perspective of someone raised Catholic, raised in Christianity. So there are specific stories to every religion. But in Christianity, there's this idea of like, the disciples just dropped their lives and followed God. Or I think there's even something about like, hate your parents. You know, Mm. or like just you have to be prepared to leave everything. But I think that like we do see that in in lots of different spiritual religious stories, like even the Buddha. The Buddha had a wife and a baby and then he just left. (laughs) If you have a brain like mine that just tends towards the extremes, Mm -hmm. it just goes straight to like, well, yeah, that then that's (laughs) – You know, rather than seeing like the larger metaphor and taking it one day at a time. (laughs) Yes. But I think I think there's some truth to like. In spirituality, even in meditation, there is there's an aspect of facing loss. Mm -hmm. And facing everything you're attached to and the fact that you could and or will (laughs) lose it. And Mm. so I think there's a sense of aloneness that engulfs me when I face that. Mm. Yes. But the way I see it is that having a more active and reciprocal relationship to something bigger than you are wouldn't make loss happen more. Right. It wouldn't highly sensitive people and the most highly sensitive ones like you and my sons and my clients and my course members have been aware of loss since the time they were four. Yeah. It's not like you're not aware of loss and that you have a difficult time facing loss. You live in that and you've lived in that since you were four. So to me, 
having that loving relationship is part of what helps us tolerate the reality that loss and death exist. I think it's magical thinking. I think it is a type of magical thinking of believing if I turn towards it, it's going to happen. If I even think about it, it's going to happen. If I become stronger, God's going to throw harder things at me. Yes, because I think it has to do with that old belief about what God is that you are still carrying. That's not a loving, benevolent God that lives in you. That's that other God on high, the Santa Claus version. And I think what you're speaking to, Victoria, is how deeply embedded that belief is of that version of God. It reminds me of something I shared in my Grace Through Uncertainty course, which is really all about growing a meaningful spiritual practice. This is from Reb Zalman's book, and Reb Zalman was the creator of Jewish Renewal, which is the type of Judaism that speaks most to me. Um, It's a very inclusive, earth-based, feminine, spiritual Judaism, nothing, no no dogma. Um, Everybody is welcome. And so this is from his book, Jewish with Feeling. Okay, so this is me talking. When I say that God is not my God, so this is what I hear, Victoria. When you're talking about that God, I'm what I think in my head is that God is not my God. That is not my God. That judgmental, um, all-knowing, sort of harsh God that is going to tell you you have to blow up your life if you turn toward God. That is not my God. And when I, so when I say that God is not my God, I'm reminded of a story that Rabbi Zalman, Reb Zalman shares in his book, Jewish with Feeling. And this is what he writes. The Tibetan Buddhist Lama Chogam Trungpa, I don't know how to pronounce that, founder of Naropa University in Boulder, where I teach, told a group of us one day that his son had asked him, Daddy, is there a God? No, Trungpa told him. Phew. The little boy sighed. I was scared there for a while. Trungpa looked over at me, trying to bait me a little. He was known for his provocative behavior. So I looked back at him and said, that God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. Hmm. And there's another quote here. Um, This is Mirabai Star in her book, God of Love, quotes James Ferris, priest of the Ecumenical Catholic Communion. And he says, I have found that those who say they are atheists often reflect a God I could not accept. And then Mirabai goes on to write, the God my parents repudiated is not my God. My God is too vast to be contained by theology, too mysterious to be defined, too holy to be personified. My God neither punishes nor rewards, but invites me into a living relationship that unfolds in the heart of all that is. My God belongs to everyone, and this belonging connects me to the web of all life.
I want to speak to the broader spirituality that we are that we are touching into mm. in terms of what is what is a spiritual experience? And when I was thinking about it and I was feeling into it and I was noting the moments, and it's not the first time I've done this, of course, but I was on more on more high beam um, awareness of the moments when I felt most connected to something bigger than me. Um, and so for me, writing a poem is no less spiritual than sitting under my talit, my prayer shawl in meditation and studying Jewish texts. One might look like our idea of spirituality, right? When I'm sitting under the talit, but it's no less spiritual for me than writing a poem, right? And for me, writing down a dream and being with it in some way until an aha moment lights up my soul is no less spiritual than sitting at the creek and singing Hebrew chants to the water. And for me, waking up in the morning and opening the blinds to see the sun flooding the bare trees these mornings in December in this glorious white gold light, and to sit and really see, notice, right? taking it in, it's this noticing is a form of praise. It's no less spiritual than saying the two Hebrew prayers that I say before I open the blinds. And from a more religious perspective, those two Hebrew prayers I think would be seen as more valid, right? More, more religious, more spiritual. But to me, it's, it's all the same. And likewise, the less I turn to my screens and the more I slow down and turn inward, the more access I have to these sacred places. And it actually reminds me, Victoria, of what we, what we said just before we started recording, that this space itself, being in this realm with you, lighting a candle before we start, taking a minute or two or three to be in silence together, helps us to slow down and create this sacred, soulful space together that is not just for us. It is in hopes that it will be of service in some way. So to me, recording this podcast with you is just as spiritual as going to synagogue. And so this, this slowing down, the turning away from screens, some of the things I spoke about in the episode where we talked about my, my 50th birthday, letting my soul lie fallow, not taking on new projects. And along these lines, I, there is a poem that I'd like to share that I wrote in the beginning of October. And it's called A Thank You Note to God in October. I document for you, God, when the blackbirds gather in thick flocks woven within cottonwood treetops, 
I consider grabbing my phone to share on Instagram a story about how looking up inspires awe. But instead, I lie down in the hammock and sing prayers back to them, to you. It's how I tell you that the majesty you've created on this magnificent earth, the chorus of a hundred blackbirds singing a brief song amidst yellowing leaves in October before they fly as one to the next tree, is heard, received, recorded by pen and soul. I work for you, God. You are my publisher, my producer, my word doc, my influencer and audience both. These minutes of listening, not only to bird flock song, but also to Cricket's final sad tune as they escort us to the end of warm days, to the leaves falling, to the horse neighing in the distance, to the rooster crowing. The listening is how I say, Shamati, I hear you. I hear how bird and cricket and horse and rooster are mouthpieces through which divine breath is known. That moment when I said no to Instagram and yes to my notebook and pen was a moment of reclamation, of rebellion, no less significant than when Eve used her free will in the garden. I have choice and I choose you and in choosing you, a surge of joy fills me with the rapture of being here, now, in this one sacred moment. Oh, I, I just love the intimacy in that poem. Mm. You totally captured that deeply intimate personal relationship. Yes. And don't you think that poets are spiritual God scribes that in noticing, you think of someone like Mary Oliver. Mm. And of course, someone like Rumi, who had a profoundly intimate relationship to God. But Mary Oliver, I don't think, talks a whole lot about God in her poetry, does she? I don't think so. I, the, if anything, the line that always stands out to me is, you do not have to be good. Mm -hmm. You don't have to walk on your knees in the <sighs> desert. <laughs> For a hundred miles repenting. Yeah. Right? Something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yes. So all of these ways that the divine moves through us. And you know them too. You are a poet and a musician. You do notice so deeply the intricacies, the nuances of life happening before your eyes. And I always want to say to you, Victoria, and I 
perhaps say this to anybody who struggles in the way that you struggle, that you probably have a closer relationship to God than you think you do. Mm-hmm. It's so evident to me. It brings me back to thinking about the parallels with relationship anxiety and, and how spirituality isn't static either. Mm-hmm. The relationship mm-hmm. that you're describing, people are going to have an evolving relationship and yes. days where you feel more in love and days where you feel annoyed right. or mm-hmm. empty. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's like allowing myself to be a human being. Hmm. Even the way that you talk about Instagram in that poem about the divine, I love it because it's like you're not separating like, oh, this Hmm. is the spiritual stuff and this is the Hmm. everyday stuff. It's Hmm. both together. One of the things I love about Judaism is that the word Israel itself Oh, it's like wrestling with God. God right? wrestlers. It yeah. means God wrestlers. Yeah. That the it's in the wrestling. Yes. That there's room to wrestle. Yes. There's room to not believe. There's room to doubt. There's room to be angry at God. Yes. It's a relationship, exactly like you're saying, just like an intimate relationship, just like any relationship with a parent, with a friend, with a child. It's it's a relationship that you are allowed to doubt to not believe in, it's happening anyway, I think. Yeah. 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 Even the most like iconic religious and spiritual figures often had seasons, long seasons of doubt or disbelief or darkness. I think that's the original meaning of dark night of the soul. Yeah. I think that was John the Baptist Mm. who lost his faith Mm. in God. To me, there is infinite room the doubt and the anger and the questioning and the skepticism doesn't preclude still lighting the candle, perhaps saying a prayer, perhaps saying, hey, God, I am really pissed at you. (laughs) (laughs) And what would that be like to be that real and grow that kind of relationship to the mystery. There is this mass exodus from organized religion that we are seeing documented statistically. And yet there's still the longing, the longing for community and the longing for the rituals. That that basic archetypal human longing is not going to go away. We are in this liminal time where we don't quite know what that's what the next incarnation of mm. religion or spirituality is going to look like. But it will it will look like something because that's a human need to connect in a very deep way to others and to something in the invisible realm. Hmm. The phrase came to mind of trying to gather the gold 
from from our old traditions <laughs> with people like Richard Rohr, who is a Catholic priest, but he is so yes. different from most Catholic priests that you encounter. <laughs> yes. Um, who's yes. really trying to gather the gold from traditions, from the stories, from some of the ideas and sift out. Yes. Sift out what we are finding is in direct opposition to becoming kinder, more loving mm-hmm. people. And yes. Cheryl, you you and I were talking about Casper Turkile's book, The Power of Ritual. I mm-hmm. mentioned it in the last episode, but you also reminded me of these three pieces to ritual that he identifies in the book, which came from somewhere else, but we can link to the book and it'll that has the original source. But I was wondering, maybe we could just end on on just mentioning those pieces because I think it is really helpful when it comes to like moving forward with with maybe a little bit more of like an actions and values based Mm -hmm. take on spirituality as opposed to just waiting for the feeling. (laughs) Yes. I love this book so much. The Power of Ritual. And you turned me on to it, Victoria, turning everyday activities into soulful practices. So turning everyday activities into soulful practices. And his premise is that We are already doing things that are meaningful. How do you turn those everyday activities into sort of spiritual practice? And he talks about these three qualities, attention, intention, and repetition. And so he gives all these examples like going rock climbing or soul cycle or these places where people are gathering in very meaningful ways that have become sort of like the new church, the new churches that are popping up. And so he gives an example of you can take your dog for a walk every single day at 5 p.m. And that's not a ritual. That's just taking your dog for a walk. every. It's repetition. So it, it, it checks that um, box of repetition. But if you take your dog for a walk every day at 5 and you set the intention of moving slowly and noticing what the sky looks like and setting an intention of making eye contact with a stranger and smiling at them and saying hello. And you give it that intention, which also is attention. You pay attention to what's happening around you. It becomes a meaningful ritual. So, There are so many things that we're already doing that could be elevated, that could help us feel more connected to self, other, invisible, nature. And those are the four pieces of connection he talks about as well, which I talk about all the time, that spirituality is really that longing to connect, connect, right? Mm -hmm. It's connection. It's all about connection, to connect more deeply to self to others, to the invisible, to nature. And that we can take something like journaling or we can take something like reading. He talks about sacred texts. And of course, he has the podcast that that you've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't listened as much, but of taking a text like Harry Potter and setting ritual around it that... The reading and the unpacking and the discussion of Harry Potter 
becomes a soulful spiritual experience. It's such a good book and it's such a powerful idea that there are so many ways to connect to a sense of meaning, to connect to other people, to connect to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think he makes it feel fun, <laughs> you know, yes. like meaningful and at times serious, but it can also be fun and enjoyable and pleasurable. Mm. Yes. I, I think some of the anxiety can come from the image also, not just of God in the skies, the old man with the beard, but as of the spiritual person having to be alone on the mountaintop. Ugh. You know? Yes. And I think that's part of what can make, can exacerbate that feeling of fear mm-hmm. around it. And I, I think when that gets out of balance, when you've been, or for me anyway, when I'm too isolated, when I'm not connecting with people enough, when I'm not, when my mind is closed, when I'm not learning enough about other other people or other cultures or other parts of the world, when I'm like, when I've gotten too isolated and disconnected from all these different parts, that's when the fear gets like really, really mm-hmm. loud. Yes. You're saying something right now that is crystallizing something for me that I think is so important to underscore, which is that you've mentioned several times throughout this hour about how one of the ways that you know the divines connect to something bigger is through connection to other people. That that's a, that's a deeply important form of connection for you, perhaps the most important. And I see this also in, in my younger son, um, who you know I think is like a, a male clone of you. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a connector. If he, is, if he is cut off from humans, he does not do well. He is a connector to, in a human way. It's not necessarily my dominant way. My dominant way is probably in nature, right? That's where I feel most deeply connected. And it strikes me that perhaps the new religion or the new spirituality, and it's exactly what Casper Turkile is saying in the book, is that it has to be meaningful for you and the way that you're wired. And that you get to follow that. It is no longer cookie cutter religion. That's over for a lot of people. And if that works for you, that's fantastic. But for a lot of people, it no longer works and it comes with a lot of pain and judgment and fear and baggage. And so it's no longer cookie cutter. It's no longer formulaic. It's no longer one size fits all. It's trusting in the way that you're wired and knowing yourself well enough to say, actually, this is, this is my spiritual belief and connection like for you, Victoria, and I, I think for Asher, he will probably be able to articulate something similar one day. It's in human connection. It's in seeing the goodness in others. And it's not that I don't value that. I tremendously do. But it's not necessarily my top way. And that's okay. That's incredible. That's amazing that... Each person gets to 
tune into how do I know God? How do I know the mystery? What are those moments when I have that sense of, that sense of awe, that sense of humility, that sense of praise, these qualities that, these words that might sound religious, but it's actually, that's what we're kind of going for, right? Awe and praise and gratitude. Presence. Presence, kindness, service, generosity. It's going to look different for everybody. Hmm. Cheryl, is there anything that you would want to send people off with? Hmm. In this season of darkness, of trying to bring some light, of maybe going to church once a year. (laughs) This is coming from my spiritual belief system, but I would want everybody to know that you are held. You are not alone. You are connected to something much vaster than you can even conceive of. And mostly, you are loved exactly as you are. You don't have to believe anything other than what you believe. You don't have to even know what you believe. You don't have to do any certain practices or rituals. You are loved exactly as you are. No matter how you walk through this season, no matter how you walk through life, you are loved. Beautiful. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you. Cheryl, if people want to find more of you and your work online, where should they go? My website is conscious-transitions.com and I'm on Instagram at Wisdom of Anxiety. And you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate it, leave a review, and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening.